From the LA Times studios, this is Asian Enough. Every week on this podcast, we talk to one Asian American celebrity about the joys, the complications, and everything else that comes along with being Asian American. I'm Frank Shaw. And I'm Jen Yamato. We know that the world feels crazy right now and that there's a lot on everyone's minds. We recorded most of this podcast before our current national public health crisis exploded. So we hope that this show gives you a brief break from the anxieties that we're all feeling right now. And we'll have a bonus episode for you later this week, a special quarantine edition that takes a look at how the coronavirus is affecting our communities. This week on episode two of our show, we have our conversation with the thoughtful, the fun, the fierce and the powerful Lulu Wong. She directed last year's film, The Farewell. I knew that I didn't want to tell a story that was biased and that was just, that exists only to prove my point of view. That's not interesting. So just to set it up, Lulu Wong's film, The Farewell, is the semi-autobiographical story of an American woman named Billy, who's played by Aquafina, who travels to China where her family is gathering under false pretenses to say goodbye because they're keeping a very big secret from Billy's beloved grandmother, whom she calls Nai Nai. The Farewell won the Spirit Award for Best Film. It won Aquafina a historic Golden Globe, and it is one of the defining movies about the Asian-American immigrant kid experience. Yeah, this movie kind of wrecked me, and it kind of wrecked my dad, too. I, I saw, I watched it with him, and I saw this tear roll down. <laughs> dad tears. So rare. We will talk to Lulu about the movie, of course, but also about what it was like to be in the middle of a Sundance bidding war like she was with The Farewell and the problem with diversity programs in Hollywood. And she has a funny story about what was going on right before she walked on stage to accept her Indie Spirit Award. She gave this really amazing and true speech that went viral. And I've really been looking forward to this conversation. So let's get started. So you and I met just over a year ago at the Sundance Film Festival where The Farewell World premiered and left me cr- like weeping, seriously, like weeping in my seat um, in the theater. The lights came up. All these ushers were trying to get me to leave. <laughs> and I had ugly cried so hard that like I had sniffled into my jacket sleeve. It was like it was a bad scene for me. Um, so it was very special. That's where we met. And then we spoke for the first time. I heard your story and I heard more about it. And I have been so happy to see how the rest of the year unfolded for you. But what does it feel like for you to be on this side of it? Uh, I think I'm still processing all of it because it's been such a roller coaster of emotions. And I was telling the rest of the team this weekend that in some ways, Sundance was the most meaningful moment because it's the introduction of your baby to the world and just having no idea how it's going to land. And we were all together. You know, that was what was so beautiful is that we we were all in that same room and we all experienced it. We all brought our fears and excitement and and you feel it. Like you're like not sure. And of course, everyone's like looking at reviews right after. But I think everyone felt the energy from the first moment that the room laughed. Everybody just broke into laughter. And it was very unexpected, too. It wasn't a place that anyone thought was like a hilarious joke moment. And then, you know, from there, you you, you can hear people crying. You can you just feel this energy, this communal 
thing, which is what's so beautiful about um, the theatrical experience. And and then the sale, the late night, like, you know, bidding war that you've heard about as a filmmaker. <laughs> that's like the dream. And then you're actually there being driven. I'm like in my PJs with a giant <laughs> coat being driven into like this mansion. You're just like, what is going what? on? That's oh. what happens? <laughs> that's what happens like late at night, you know. Like, they literally were like, get out of bed right now. The car is going to be in front of your house. Get in the car. Like, we're taking meetings, you know. (laughs) And it's like, you're not sleeping. You're Mm -hmm. like celebrating, but you're anxious. And we're all together. And then the weird thing about this whole year is that for the rest of the year, you're kind of separated. You know, it's like oftentimes at events, it's like, me, Aquafina, sometimes just me. Sometimes there's Jow. Sometimes, you know, maybe Danny's there. But um, it just, uh, you just everywhere. And you're not sure how many tickets we get to this thing or that thing and who can come and what's happening. And, oh, we lost. But, you know, you're <laughs> you're like, oh, we didn't get nominated. But you're like trying to still like hold on to the feeling from that that you made a movie that mattered. And like we're all trying to like remind each other of that, and so it's just but it's complicated, and and so by the end of the season, it was like, how do I bring everybody back together? And so um, I rented a house and just said, everyone come over, let's watch the awards, and let's just really like be in a small space together. And 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 my brother cooked, and <laughs> brother a chef, my brother who's a chef, <laughs> yes, cooked, and uh, he had come to China and met everyone and. Um, and so I think that, Oh, you mean when you were filming? When we were filming, oh. yeah. He actually came to China and hadn't seen anyone since then. And But that was really important to me because at the end of the day, it's like, you know, we know what we went through to get this film made. And, you know, we were on the ground and um, battling. And, uh, and, and so I think it's just important not to forget those things and it becomes about like this other thing you're part of this yeah. bigger conversation and everyone's so angry but for us it's so like <laughs> everyone does get so everyone angry. gets so angry and I'm like we made a film that's like 80% subtitled in Chinese that no one <laughs> wanted to make and then it ended up making like 20 million dollars domestically in theaters like we've won guys like let's we can't but also Yes, we should be angry, you know, about the bigger picture and about what we're – but at the same time, it was important for us to just feel feel the weight of um, the change and, 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 and what everyone contributed to. Okay, so in this scene, Billy's visiting her parents when she senses something's not right. And this is before they go to visit Nai Nai in China. And Billy's prodding her mother, and she gets some surprising news. Billy's mom, played by Diana Lynn, speaks first. Are you always going to live like this? Poor but sexy, I hope so. Why you not try to save, huh? You should change your expensive lifestyle. Mom, if you're going to give me shit every time I come home, I'm not coming home anymore. Lower your voice. That's sleeping. Sleeping at 6 p.m. What's wrong with him? Nothing. He's just tired. Is he okay? He's fine. We're just busy. That's all. Busy with what? What's going on? Oh, it's getting married. So we have to go to China. What? Since when? Has he, like, just started dating that girl? You don't need to go. No one expecting you to go. I mean, he's my only cousin. Did you think I should be there? 
You think he knocked her up? How many wintons you want? Five. Five? That's not enough. Make a dozen then. Ten's good. I love this movie, and there's also such a great international cast here, from Tai Ma playing Billy's dad to Zhao Shuzhen, who plays Nai Nai. And they're all filling in these great, really specific nuances across generations in this family. When I heard you talk about what you were asked to do to the film, what financiers wanted, and when I ironically heard that The Farewell was classified as a foreign film, I cringed really hard in this very specific way. It kind of felt like what the film was going through is what Asian Americans go through. And mm-hmm. part of that is probably because this is a story inspired by your own actual life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you talked about how you, like, pushed back against all of this stuff. Um, you know, why did you push back? And, 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 and do you think people understood what you were trying to say or were they just trying to change it? Uh, I think that when I was first pitching, you know, people don't ask questions enough in this town. I think, <laughs> I think that's a, uh, something to look at because— you know, as journalists, that's the first thing that you do is you interrogate, you ask questions, you um, try to understand. And I think that so often in Hollywood, the first thing that is done is there's such a cynicism that it immediately you pitch a story and it's immediately like, how do we make it like that other successful movie? And when your film doesn't have a lot of comps, uh, which is like the industry term from like comparisons, uh, And you can't, like, name, like, a comp that didn't do well. Like, that's not going (laughs) to work. So you have to name a comp that's similar in tone, similar in plot, and then also successful in the box office. And you're going to, like, you're like, this film is going to be like that and it's going to do just as well. But when you're trying to do something original, that you you can't have that. So I think that was the pushback from the people I initially pitched it to where they were like – we have to change it to be more like one of these other films that already exists. And I was trying to say, actually, I'm trying to do something that hasn't been done. Right. Um, but it's based on my own experience. And that's why I want to make it because I haven't seen this before. So that was really challenging. That's interesting. It's almost like a structural you know, response against new stories. If you can't relate it to old stories, like it's harder to understand. Mm-hmm. Lulu also did a This American Life Story version of The Farewell. Uh, that came out, how many years ago was it? Uh, 2016. 2016. So that was kind of like the first go at the story. Yeah, exactly. And then, of course, when I did This American Life, the experience was so different because it was like, that's fascinating. Why did your family do this? And how did you feel about it? But then how did they feel? And then what did you say? And then what did your mom say? And what did your dad say? And it was all of these questions that some of which I had the answers to, some of which I didn't have the answers to. And I said, well, let's explore that. Let's go talk to them. Let me call my great aunt because you know what? I actually never asked her that question. And so through that process, I got to understand my own story better. It's interesting you bring up kind of having to call your great aunt. Uh, Both Jen and I have had to tell stories about our own families on occasion. It's very awkward sometimes. chosen to, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, But then there is this, like, really complicated responsibility that you take on. Right. How do I tell my family story? How much of my family's story do I want? To reveal how much of my own family's experience have I processed myself and understand. Right. And you're so scared to get it wrong. For me, I I was anyway. Yeah, absolutely. It was a really interesting experience, though, because, 
you know, the story is about two points of views. I mean, it's there's many points of views, but just for the sake of my point, uh, let's say two points of views, my family, the, the family in China, and me as an American, which is to tell her the truth. But I knew that I didn't want to tell a story that was biased and that was just that exists only to prove my point of view. That's not interesting, right? I was telling the story as a way to explore the questions that I had of like, why is this? And how how do you deal with this? Because there is no simple answer. And so I really struggled with making sure that I wasn't biased that because it's so easy to have these blind spots. How do you do that? Well, first of all, I approach the film in the same way that we approach the This American Life episode, where I tried to ask as many questions as possible. I showed the script to people in my family, and uh, I called them and said, is this fair? And is this not fair? And then I also cast my great aunt to play herself in the movie. <laughs> Little Nina. Little Nina. Yes, I loved her. And be- besides the fact that she's just adorable and um, brought... Ellen, real Ellen, into the movie and could make her sing. Um, <laughs> Ellen, the singing dog. The singing chihuahua. Superstar. <laughs> Superstar. Yeah. So uh, besides that, she was there to authenticate in a way. Mm-hmm. Like whenever we were shooting a scene, I would turn to her and say, am I representing your point of view correctly? Right? Because wow. she was the instigator of the initial lie. So really at the end of the day – she and I are the two people on the opposite sides. She wants to maintain the lie mm-hmm. and continues mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. Uh, feel that way. And um, and so it was it was a way of saying, like, how do we hold multiple truths in one story and and respect both sides? And that's the only way to tell a story from inside out, because, like, no one is going to be able to know all perspectives. And so how do we juggle multiple perspectives in a story when you're like an, a quote-unquote auteur, right? And so now when I'm telling stories where there's an ensemble of characters and I want every character's story to be told inside out and I'm only one person, how do we do that? I'm curious because so many of your family members knew you were going to tell a version of the family story. Um, I mean, not only was Lil Nine literally cast as herself in the film as you said but your father uh, and your mom obviously knew and I'm curious what did they ask you about your vision for it going in they all had different perspectives my father read the script and my reasoning for asking him to read it was just to say, is this authentic? Does this feel like, you know, I'm properly representing everyone? And does it also feel like I'm being respectful? And uh, he read it and said, well, it's very authentic, but why is it interesting? (laughs) Like he was surprised that I didn't dramatize it more. Mm. It stays so true to some of the scenes that actually happened and some of the conversations that happened in the family. And, you know, he he watches, like, Die Hard, and he's, like, a big action movie. <laughs> like, he loves, like, just big He's your Hollywood plot. voice. Exactly. <laughs> he just, like, wants explosions and wants lots of things to happen. And even if it's dumb, he's like, I know it's dumb, but he just, like, <laughs> that's what he likes to watch. And so I think his fear, in a way, uh, was that no one was going to watch the film because it was so mundane for us. It was so everyday. Your dad has a really interesting life, though. He does. And even his very interesting life, you know, 
throughout the interview, we did this interview with him about his life um, many years ago. And and now I'm starting to work on that story. But he just constantly asks me and with during the interview would constantly like talk about so many crazy, interesting things. And then would be like, is this interesting? Does any, do you think anyone cares? Are you, do you, are you interested in this? I'm like, dad, are you kidding me? I, so I, when I was writing about your film for the LA Times, one of the, one of the stories are, I had the opportunity to talk to your dad on the phone, which was one of my favorite experiences because A, he's so proud. He's so proud. He was at the Sundance world premiere of this movie and in the Q&A afterwards, somebody shouted out to Lulu, but what do your parents think? And her dad was in the audience and he shouted back, pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty good? (laughs) Yeah, it was pretty good. (laughs) I think that's what he's saying because it's pretty good and everyone laughed because that's such like a, I don't know. I bet that's a huge compliment. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. (laughs) But then talking to him, I was like, he has such a fascinating story and how do you see your story in relation to your parents' story, you know, their life story? Tell us a little bit about, about what brought them to Miami where you grew up. Yeah, my dad used to be a diplomat in the Soviet Union. He was a Chinese diplomat in the Soviet Union. Uh, And then he went to school at University of Miami to get his PhD. And that's why we moved. My mother was a journalist, uh, a writer in Beijing. And then so we came over to the States when I was six. And as I was growing up, I always said to my parents that they had such interesting lives and that nothing was ever going to happen to me and my life was never going to be as interesting, which also is kind of the goal, right? For immigrant parents, they're like, we don't want your life to be that interesting. That That hard, that that challenging. Exactly. Yeah. Um, But then when I, you know, moved out to LA and I wanted to um, make films and I made a film and then I was really, really, really struggling, especially after my first film. And then, you know, it didn't go anywhere. And I was like, what? I've done the thing that is so hard, which is to make your first film. And like, it didn't work out. So maybe I'm not meant to be a filmmaker. How do I know that I should continue to do this? And it's so difficult. And that's when my mom said, remember when you were younger and you would always say like, we had such interesting lives and like, (laughs) you know, we really like took a chance and this is like your moment. This is your journey, you know, so you got to keep going. I, I guess this connects to like the earlier question of like, my mom had a very different response from my father. Aside from I mean, I think she's proud, but she expresses it very differently. And throughout the process, writing the script and everything, because she herself is a writer and she has a very different perspective. She 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 considers herself an American 100%, but because she didn't come over till she was in her 30s, her perspective is more Chinese. And so every time she would read the script, there were things that she's like, well, you don't understand. There there are things that you don't understand about China and you need to understand them in order to tell the story. And I would say, but do I? Like, that's a very intellectual thing, but like, this is actually not from your perspective. This is from my perspective. I've never understood Mm -hmm. those things. And you explaining them to me now to try to change my perspective, like, doesn't make sense. Like, shouldn't I be telling the story from exactly where I am, that this is actually a Chinese-American story about a woman who grew up in America and doesn't have all of the understanding. And and this is a really common thing, which is that 
you know, Asians in Asia, they don't necessarily see Asian American as its own separate identity. Exactly. That it's like a watered down yes. <laughs> version of Asian. <laughs> like that they just have like yeah. a like a lack of understanding. And so that was something that my mother and I struggled with, especially because she is a writer in her um, own right, where I had to say, okay, I can take certain things from you, but there's other things that we're just two different people. We're two different. We've lived two different lives and we have two different perspectives. Why, why do you think your dad was unable to see how interesting he was? I think and he still has, I'm sure. Well, now I think he has a little bit easier time trusting me because I think back then I was also an unproven filmmaker to him <laughs> as well, as well as to the rest of the world. He's, he was very confused why a production company was going to give me millions of dollars to tell this story. And I think it's just because he hasn't seen a lot of those stories on screen. And his version of what a movie is stars Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, you know, Bruce Willis. Smanning Arnold in the farewell right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So I think that's mostly, you know, what it is, is the, the, the power of media to inform your perspective of what is of value and what is not. It's like my great aunt, too. There's a self-deprecation where when I wanted to cast her, she just was like, my fat face is going to ruin your film. She just kept saying that and laughing about it. But and she's so good. But she's so good. She's so and she makes the film, yeah. Yeah, and, and she would just always say that in a self-deprecating way, which is like, haha, it's funny. But sometimes it's also like, why are you saying that about yourself, you know? Mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. And she's like, well, I'm not a movie star. I'm going to ruin your movie. And I was like, but – you're real and this and who else better to play you than you if you if you can find a way to con like forget the cameras just be you i've written about sort of chinese immigrants in the san gabriel valley for about 6 years before i became a columnist and a really common question is why do you want to know this really <laughs> you know? yeah like what is this for cuz you, you know? i mean you speak with so many people yeah. on the street business people you're just like Pursuing these stories, like real life stories. Mm -hmm. So and you just go up to people on the street, yeah, and they're like, "Yeah, I go why? to the shop owner, the the pharmaceutical shop owner, and I'm like, well, how did? Why did you start this? And they're like, Why do you want to know this? What is this for? And I feel like people bring with them their ideas of what newspaper and stories can do, you know, or from, which from stories have value, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, and what's your response to them? <laughs> you know, I, I do have to explain American journalism. Journalism in other countries has different values. Yeah. It tells different types of stories. And I tell them I, I have to explain America, you know, almost. I have to say here there's a lot of different people and we struggle to learn about each other and telling stories about each other helps each other learn about each other and treat each other better. It doesn't always work. You know? I was going to say that. <laughs> like really, really what happens is that if it's an older Chinese woman, they're just like, oh, you're just like my son. And, and then, then they'll talk to me. <laughs> it's a struggle. Because I think that's also the response a lot of my Asian friends uh, have told me that they get from their parents when they mm -hmm. try to find out their history. You know, as our parents or grandparents are getting older and, you know, they say, can you t tell me about when you were in the war, when you went through this or that? The very common response is, why? Why, why do you want to know? <laughs> yes. And then yes. E even when they insist and they're like, because I don't want to lose this history, they still won't talk about it. Because I think for them, it's like, why go back into that pain? I've had to let it go in order to survive, in order to move on. Why revisit that? For what? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's similar, right, to to the farewell where where the family doesn't want to tell her because it's like, what is the purpose mm -hmm. of, of going into this pain? I, I feel like, though, 
Asians, especially Asian immigrants, they need stories. You know, having your story told does something for you. Do you think it's done something for your family? Absolutely. I think that it's helped everyone to make sense of it a little bit. I'm not saying it's solved problems or anything like that, but I do think it was therapeutic, especially my great aunt, because she's held on to so much of that on her own. And in her audition tape, I asked her to just talk to me about what she went through in that moment where she had to make this decision and had to lie. And it was incredibly emotional. She broke down. And, you know, my producers actually said, I don't know if it's ethical for us to cast her because we're asking her to re revisit her trauma. And it's not just once. It's She might have to do the scene over and over and over and over oh, again. Wow. Does she even know what she's signing up for because she's never been on a set before? And so... Afterwards, I asked her, and she says that it was very therapeutic for her. You were mentioning the the difficulty sometimes of getting older generations to share their stories, and that's a thousand percent my experience asking my grandparents who all lived through internment as Japanese Americans. It's an experience they did not volunteer easily, and now I, I've lost most of them, and I feel a lot of regret that it's too late mm -hmm. to, to know. But also I, I do know from speaking with my parents and my aunt and uncle that it was never an easy story for them to share to begin with. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's just this sort of mournful reality, I think, mm -hmm. of, of having family where generations pass. Like, I am so glad that I didn't have to have that experience. And I feel very grateful that I, that I feel like I've learned from it now as an adult and I carry that with me. But I wish that I had some way to help tell their story. That's one reason why I think it's a beautiful thing how, how you made the farewell. I always wanted to tell a story that was really close to my family, if not about my family, but I needed a vehicle to do it. A, a vehicle beyond, and I'm not saying this can't be it, enough of a story for a film, but I, I, I wanted something beyond just here's the story of how my family immigrated and, mm -hmm. and survived, right? Like I wanted a higher concept around that. And so when this thing happened to me, I, of course, as a filmmaker, thought this has got to be a film. There's a wedding. It's it's a set period of time. It is like this like fish out of water. Uh, it is a going home. It's a reunion. There's all of these elements. There's it's there's not a funeral, but there is the fact that my grandfather's not around. And I knew that I wanted to make it as a film. But when I started pitching it, that was the other thing that people would say to me was like, I don't understand. Is this about the grandma or is this about being an immigrant? Or is this about, you know, and people have always said that to me in the past. Like, even when I made my shorts and I've written other scripts, like, one of the notes I would constantly get would people would be like, you're trying to say too many things. You can only say one thing with a movie. And I'm like, is that true? <laughs> can you, does it have to be that? And also, can't thing, can't there be layers of things that are all connected? And it was like, mm -hmm. I don't know how to tell a story about losing my grandma without 
the perspective of an immigrant because that yeah. that's connected, right? Because it, it means being an immigrant means that you haven't spent all this time. So there's guilt, there's regret in different ways for different people, for my father versus me mm-hmm. versus my mother who, who you know, most of her life has not gotten along with her mother-in-law. But, but that's also a classic problem across the board, even when you're not an immigrant. And it's universal, but it's specific. And, and so it takes, you know, a lot of work to figure out how to connect all those things. But yeah, I think that's a bad note to give to say, like, you're trying to say too many things. Well, the, the movie's also, in addition to exploring all those things, it's so funny. And so funny in so many of those moments. Yeah. And a lot of that, I think, has to do with, and by the way, the character, the lead character, Billy, is played by Aquafina, who also won an award for this movie. Yeah, she did. A big one. A really big one. Historical one. Historical Golden Globe Award. Catch me up, guys. Oh, Golden Globe. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I just like to draw it. By the way, dramatic this is... Need to pay more attention. Drama. This was when... Because when Zhao Shujin uh, got Best Supporting Actress, I was like, this is good. Like, I'm done. This is enough for, for the season. At it the made, Spirit Awards. At the Spirit yeah. Awards. I was like, you know... <laughs> Uh, this whole thing was worth it just to get both of my lead actresses recognized. And uh, my work is done and I feel really, really good and I'm going to drink a lot of bourbon now. You sit back down (laughs) at that Spirit Awards table that is stocked with food and booze. Yeah, and I just started drinking, not (laughs) eating, not worrying about what was in my teeth because I was like, we're done. It's time to celebrate. (laughs) It's time to celebrate. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's why I kind of sat at the table because I was like, do I have food in my teeth? <laughs> Am I too drunk to go up there? What's happening right now? Is Wait, but that's when you got up and accepted the best feature prize and delivered the best speech. Oh, thanks. Thank you. How would you recap that? What was the thought behind that? Uh, I guess because, you know, I've been at a lot of tables, a lot of parties, and people keep asking me, how do we empower women? How do we solve this problem of bringing more women in? And um, and I've been in a bunch of diversity programs and people are always like, you know, come shadow. And, uh, and, and I go home and I'm like, I wish I said the thing, which is just give them the job. It's not that complicated <laughs> uh, because really the only reason that I was up on that stage and have had uh, the success with the farewell is because somebody took a chance on me. They didn't take a chance by saying, you know, there's something a little condescending sometimes that's like, well, you just got to keep shadowing yep. and keep doing yep. programs. And if you, and you know, if you look at all of the men who were nominated this year at the Oscars, ask them how many shadowing programs mm-hmm. they've done, ask how many diversity programs uh, they've done. And so, uh, yeah, it's like, just give them the money, give them coming out of Sundance, the same opportunity that you, that, you know, studios have given men. um, White men. And white men Mm -hmm. to take that leap, Mm -hmm. you know, um, of saying, yeah, I know you've only done a couple documentaries, but how would you like to do this $20 million, you know, studio comedy? I think you'd be great for it. And how many women just get that opportunity? Very rarely, so. So yeah. true. I, yeah, I loved I loved that because, you know, diversity efforts are always like you do everything. Everyone's willing to do everything short of giving people the job. Thank God it came out OK <laughs> because, yeah, because I was literally at that table not moving and Barry is next to me. 
Barry Jenkins, who is Lulu's partner and the director of Moonlight, If Beale Street Could Talk, all brilliant movies. And currently working on Underground Railroad, also for Amazon. Ooh. Can I tell a funny story? Yeah. Do you want to hear a funny story? Yeah. Uh, so we were sitting at the table and I was like, we're not going to win. The camera's not even at our table. Like as they were announcing, I was like, the camera people must know because that's, you know, they've picked tables where they're going to get the reaction shot and they're not anywhere near us. And he's like, you never know. You never know. <laughs> and he's just like eating a salad and he's like... <laughs> And he's like, oh, the salad is so good. I love tomatoes. I was like, Barry, those are beets. He's like, oh, I really love beets. He's like, you should just eat some beets. Don't worry about it. Just eat the beets. I was like, I'm not going to eat the beets. Wait, I think the camera's coming over here. Just eat some beets. I'm like, I'm not going to eat the beets. Like, that's what was going down. And then the camera comes over and then, you know, that happened. So it was kind of crazy. Amazing. <laughs> Oh, you uh, posted about um, Barry uh, meeting your family in uh, in China. What uh, what was that like? Um, it was great. It was really. Uh, he said, "I feel like I'm in the farewell," <laughs> 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 which is great because we when we went to Miami together for the first time, he took me on a tour of a bunch of the locations, like the diner and the beach from Moonlight. Oh, what? and um, and so it was really cool that. When we went to China, I got to do the same. You've lived in each other's movies? Are you serious? (laughs) (laughs) I want to ask about, you know, the the impact that this whole year has had on you. The impact that releasing the film has had. Not just you professionally, but personally. The film came out in China. Mm -hmm. And I think we can safely say spoilers, you know, spoiler warning. There's this wonderful reveal at the end of the film that your grandmother is still with us. Your Nina is still with us. Um, so how would you describe the the impact that this whole experience has had for you in, 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 in a personal way? Well, she is really proud. She hasn't seen the film, but she's really, really proud, uh, especially when I met Obama and I sent her a photo and she was just like, Oh my God. Like she, she just lost it. Like, um, you know, she's like my granddaughter with a former president of the United States. I mean, she was just showing everybody in the neighborhood. Um, but you know, on a personal level, it's also really hard because she hasn't seen the film and, you know, the many, I'll just say this, many of the issues that are explored in the film still continues of like, well, when is the time where we can actually just air everything out and just openly talk about everything? And that's just not their way. And so there's still a lot of avoidance and secrecy. Um, and and my grandma knows a lot more than before, but it, it's still like a lot of like playing telephone. Well, how much does she know? What can we talk about? Mm. Um, can we talk about the fact that she knows this? And can I explain this? And it's like, no, you can't. And so uh, I think, I guess, so I guess the short answer is that um, it continues to be challenging. And it's why in the movie, I didn't want to give a very simple answer mm. because I think even though there is a happy ending of she's still with us, like we're going to lose her at some point. And um, when we have these cultural differences, they continue to be differences. It's not like we work them out and everybody's good. Yes. But it's about like how do you work through these differences in a respectful and loving and graceful way? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely been getting there with with my parents too. You know, just uh, 
kind of going back to Taiwan and trying to like learn their stories um, and, uh, you know, learn. It's, it's, it's in a way a rebuke of like the way I thought about our family story, too. You know, and it's a good lesson, and it's, that's why I thought the, the farewell was, was so, so amazing. It took me a long time to even wrap my head around the fact that my, or the idea that my parents were ever my age. Mm. It's like a slow, slow reckoning have, uh, that came late to me of, like, embracing the idea that my parents, my grandparents had had stories of their own, mm-hmm. that, you know? So it's it's a, such a such a wild journey to be able to, like, have as an outsider, mm-hmm. a lens into somebody's story like yours. Well, it's also why uh, in the film I wanted to have that little scene and, and it was on the chopping block several times because it doesn't, quote-unquote, move the story forward. But it's that scene where um, the, the, the Nainai is uh, with the other generals and they're talking about when she was in, at, in, in the war and she was, you know, 14, 16, whatever. It was an important scene for me to keep because it's like a reminder that she was a 16-year-old girl at some point and she was in love and she was so easy to just see her as like mm-hmm. the grandma. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, have you tried to show your grandma the, the film or have there been attempts made? Did you send her like a DVD or something? No, <laughs> definitely not. And, uh, you know, and that's like, that's a controversial thing in the family of like, yeah. should we, should we not? How much is it going to, uh, hurt her versus how much is it gonna make her feel good uh and no one no one knows yeah. right that answer until you just do it but it's tricky yeah now looking forward to what's next you know now you already have all these new things on the horizon that are really interesting and exciting one is an amazon show that you're working on currently what can you tell us about that describe it and also i would like to know how has the year of farewell, obviously year plus because of all the, the the time that you put into making it, but the last year, how has that year empowered you for the future and the stories that you are going to tell and that you want to tell from here on out? It's really empowered me to just ask those deeper questions. Like when I'm casting or when I'm exploring characters, it's not as simple as like Asian, Black, Hispanic. It's like you can be Asian, uh, but American. Mm-hmm. You can be, let's say, Korean, American, but living in China, right? And so it's like there's all of those layers to unpack of like people going, wait a second, you're, you don't speak English, you don't speak Chinese because you're not Chinese, you're actually Korean. Um, and then going, but wait, you don't speak Korean either because you're actually American. <laughs> and so where do you fit in? And and um, it's really been so exciting uh, to think that way because that's my life of you're never right. kind of fitting in anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Like it kind of frees you to sort of explore more complexities of, of identity and, and, and uh diaspora identity which were always there yeah right but i feel like our racial lens in america is so narrow Mm -hmm. you know and that's why the choices that that creatives have in hollywood are so narrow and and some of those choices are always just based on aesthetic like Mm -hmm. exterior and just like diversity for aesthetic sake like let's have this like rainbow as opposed to actually it being about identity and place and belonging Mm -hmm. the story behind that look Mm -hmm. it's a parasite won historic Oscars, every Asian that I know, and Asian American felt this thrill 
an emotion inside, even though it's a Korean story, not an American story. But there's this this, this like feeling of of pride and, and hopefulness, which is beautiful. At the Oscars after party, I saw Ted Hope, head of Amazon, and I asked him who he was excited about, and he said Lulu Wang. Oh, excited about for what to work with? Yeah. Oh. That's very sweet of him. I did not feel hope. I felt fear and shame because I have not yet seen uh, Frank. Parasite. Oh, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for <laughs> it. I'm so sorry. By the time this airs, I will have seen it. So nobody cancel me. I, I look forward to participating in the discourse. So the show you're working on right now. Yes. Tell us about it. Uh, the Expatriates is based on a book by Janice Lee, who's also one of the writers in the writer's room that I'm running right now for the show. Um, it's, uh, it's, uh, what can I say about it? It's about, um, three expat women who are living in Hong Kong, who are very, they're they're all American, but they have very different backgrounds, uh, and different reasons for why they're in Hong Kong. Uh, and there's a tragedy at the center of the story and, um, and it, it, it kind of tears them apart, but also brings them together. Um, and it's really also the show is a, examination of privilege um and in many different ways whether that's race class colorism you know it's really exciting to explore um so many of these like lenses but not through america but through americans but they are living in an asian country and so it's very different um it's yeah, it's just really exciting. And of course, Nicole Kidman is producing and starring and has been a huge champion for me to have uh, full creative control uh, at Amazon, which is really moving. Would you like to shout out your writers? Yes, I would love oh, to shout I'm, out. I'm really excited. My writers. So my writers are Alice Bell. Uh, Janice Lee, the writer of the book, uh, Vera Miao, and Gersimran Santu. I love, like, I'm really excited to be be aware of more storytelling voices. So it's really exciting to hear, like, you put more people on going forward. Yeah, that's why I really. That's why I asked. Oh, thank you for asking. <laughs> I'm so happy to to shout them out, and I think that it's also this year has given me. Um, a, a lot more confidence to uh, say, to believe in myself, to actually say, you know what, like, I feel very strongly about this. And maybe someone else doesn't. But let's have a conversation about that. Whereas in the past, if I had an instinct, my first thing would be, well, maybe I'm wrong, because I haven't made that many films, and they have, and they're the voice of authority. And now I say, yeah, they might be the voice of authority as far as like making films goes, but they don't come from where I come from. And so let me go talk to somebody who comes from where I come from and has shares uh, a similar background and, and perspective and work it out and and figure out what it is that I'm trying to work through and maybe, it, you know, and then bring it back and, and then explain it to them. Um, and, and I think that's really, really, really important for young filmmakers because it is so easy to lose your voice in a room with people who are providing the finances uh, and who are in positions of power. Yeah, it's it's so important that you're doing that. I, I think it's so cool that 
kids will, you know, Chinese American kids will grow up with a film like The Farewell that like perfectly captures an experience that they'll probably have, you know, and, and it's because, you know, you fight to place value on your own voice and own story. And that's such a such a cool thing. So, man, thank you for coming on. Thank you yeah. so much. For thank joining you. Us. Yeah, it was really inspiring. Thank you. Thank you. This is so lovely. All right. So that's the second episode of Asian Enough. Thank you so much to director Lulu Wong for joining us. And thank you for listening. Asian Enough is hosted by me, Jen Yamato, and by Frank Shang. Our senior producers are Rena Palta and Lina Anwar. Our executive producer is Abby Fentress Swanson. Our engineer is Mike Heplin. Our original music was composed by Andrew Ethan. Tune in here next week. We've got Pulitzer Prize winning novelist Viet Tan Nguyen. So when, you know, Jonathan Franzen puts a description of a sandwich in his, in his novel, he says, I ate a sandwich, period. As a Vietnamese person, I'm expected to say, I ate a bowl of pho, comma, a delicious <laughs> beef noodle Vietnamese soup. <laughs> but when you say that, you know you're not talking to Vietnamese people. If you like Asian enough, subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple. We need all five of those stars and the most flattering things that you can think of to write about us. Special thanks to Julia Turner, Jeff Berkshire, Reed Johnson, Shelby Grad, Camila Victoriano, Clint Schaff, and A24 for that clip from The Farewell. And remember, someday, just maybe, a female filmmaker will hear those magical words. Yeah, I know you've only done a couple documentaries, but how would you like to do this $20 million, you know, studio comedy? I think you'd be great for it. 